So we um, so we're just going to pick up where we where we were last week. So last week we so we're still in the process um, where we are looking at eternal truths from the perspective with the mindset and keeping in mind um, outside of time, because we are m- illustrating again how outside of time is determining and determinate of understanding what's wrong understanding Yahweh and understanding everything else in the Bible and it's uh, extremely important to have to have that that perspective so outside of time is what we showed through the revelation of Melchizedek Melchizedek we showed that it is the Lord Yahushua appearing in the Old Testament and serving the bread and wine to Abraham. And Abraham at that point in time being the only believer, the only one that has received grace and was considered righteous by God. So, believer. Um, and he responded in faith to that which God revealed to him. We saw in Hebrews chapter 11. And what God revealed to him was, in essence, uh, resurrection. With other words, that there was life, and not only life after this life, but that there was a homeland, a city prepared, and um, that this resurrection was possible through the Lamb. And it says that God gave Himself a Lamb. And uh, so God became man to to be the sacrifice, and the resurrection becomes possible through the resurrection of Messiah. And it's very important to understand according to what is written in Ephesians that we are resurrected in Messiah, with Messiah, and seated in heavenly places in Messiah. And uh, uh, once we understand that at the day, on the day, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord outside of time is the day that correlates with the day inside of time where the crucifixion of the Lamb the sacrifice of the Lamb takes place. It is the same day that outside of time is the one day. That's the day of judgment. We see that in Revelation as the white throne judgment. And it's very important to understand that if we talk about outside of time, that God is removed from this realm where time and space is defining and is the definition that applies to all that lives in this world and exists in this world. But God is not defined by these things. And so He exists outside of time eternally. Now let's quickly uh, look at that definition, eternal. Now normally, traditionally, people would think of eternal as being never-ending. But we have to understand that eternal is also not without beginning. You cannot have eternal with a beginning, because then it's not eternal. And so the only way to understand eternity is as a circle. Without a circle, has no beginning or end. We cannot have eternal. People used to think eternal just goes on forever. But we never realized that it cannot have a beginning. And this is what we call outside of time. And it's very important that wherever we read in the Old Testament and New Testament, when it speaks about the day of the Lord, or one day, we see it often, the day of glory, that's also the day of judgment. It's the day of glorification. We'll go into glorification a little bit today. And so it's very important to have these concepts as a framework 
in our understanding. And um, this is the only way that the Bible will ultimately make sense from Genesis to Revelation. Um, and, and the moment we accept this is true, then we have become um, contrary to the traditional um, interpretation of what the Bible is, how the Bible works, and God's plan, and the person of God. Um, so we're not going to go into Trinity, uh, the Trinity doctrine too much, but today we're going to look at the Holy Spirit, and in the process we are moving towards uh, showing that the Trinity doctrine, uh, the way it was formulated originally made sense, but it has a consequence that is negative. The Trinity doctrine put the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as three uh, individual persons, although they maintain that He's one God. And this created a big problem because now our believers uh, inevitably had to figure out how do you relate to these three persons. And in the process, believers tend to forget that He's one God. And so people say they believe He's one God, but in practice... Their, th their thoughts, their action, and their prayer life doesn't show that they believe in a one God. And this is extremely dangerous. Now, we already know that through misinformation in the history of the church, Christian Christianity, um, Satan has caused believers to create an idol Messiah. The Jesus Christ idea that became an idol. With other words, God says, make no image. Do not fashion an image. Because the moment we create an image of God, we will start to worship that image. So people consciously say they have no image, but subconsciously they do have an image of Yahushua. And then they have an image of the Father. And uh, because it's very difficult to create an image of the Holy Spirit, they struggle, so most believers traditionally would avoid the idea. They would say they believe in the Holy Spirit as one of the um, three persons of God, but then they would avoid mostly that whole concept because you can't fashion an image of Him. Okay, yeah. But we're going to show how in um, uh, erroneous doctrine, uh, the, the Satan still got the, peop the general Christian ideal world to resist the Holy Spirit, even if they didn't make an idol out of Him. We're going to show that. Now, today's teaching, the main purpose is to show the connection, unbreakable bond between grace that we looked at last week and the Holy Spirit. So we want to work towards a place when we think Holy Spirit, we think grace. But not general, undefined grace. The grace, Hebraic, uh, concrete grace, uh, eternally, that we showed last week. Okay. And we're going to show how you cannot, you cannot interact with the Holy Spirit without interacting with grace and from a place of grace. Okay. These are eternal, outside-of-time realities. We are trying to understand them inside of time. So, if you have not started the day this morning asking the Holy Spirit for wisdom, do that now. Because you are going to need far more capacity for understanding than you would normally have through the week. Okay. <clears throat> and here we go. We start us off. We're going to anchor ourselves in John chapter 14, 26. Just so you know what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to look at what is truly written. 
Then we are going to go have a look at what the words, the original word construction, what it looks like. And we will see that actually what most people would have always thought it says has far deeper meaning than uh, what we would just uh, glean on the surface. And um, then we're going to have a look at the Hebraic, um, let's call it name, terminology, concept, uh, truth that we call today Holy Spirit. We're going to look at that. We're going to um, have a look at that. Then inevitably, once we look at the Hebraic reality of Holy Spirit, we cannot move on without just quickly having a look at glory. We're not going to go into glory in, a, in depth. We have to look at that. So we've got quite a bit of work ahead of us. And um, so we're going to look at, uh, at that glory. And then we're going to show you practically how it works. Uh, all the, the illustrations are going to come in. And um, then we're going to read and we're going to try, attempt to read through three chapters in Ephesians. We started, we based the, we based the teaching... Based the teaching on Ephesians last week, and uh, I would like us, uh, I would like to try and show how, if you read through Ephesians, everything that we said are actually said in these three chapters of Ephesians, Ephesians, so that you can see that we talk a lot, but you could have just read your Bible and and gained everything that we said. So anyone who wants to leave now, just go read Ephesians at home. <laughs> Okay, so just a reminder, but the Holy Spirit is your teacher. We are tour guides. We are translators. Okay, so the Holy Spirit teaches you things. We are here to translate so that you can see what has been written in there. Because the Bible is written in a mystery form, all, most of the Bible is written in a way that will hide the mysteries from those that are not um, fearful and, and faithful in their heart's intentions towards God. The Bible says so that they will not turn, their eyes will not open, and they should not be forgiven and healed uh, in various scriptures. So that's the effect. Now, let's interpret for you. Okay, let's go. Okay, so <clears throat> John chapter 14, verse 26. The Lord says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Right. Now, the King James Version, instead of Helper, they translated it Comforter. Okay. Yet when we look at the Greek, that word is um, more accurately uh, translated as advocate. Advocate. Okay, now we're going to show how all of this is valid. So we've got helper, comforter, advocate. And these are all three uh, terms that is applicable to the one that is sent. Okay, just read the first part again, please. Okay. But the Helper, yeah. the Holy Spirit, yeah. whom the Father will send in my name. Okay. 
now go to Bible Hub, whom the Father will send in my name. Pause, and before we start to translate, think about what we just read. Whom the Father, so Yahushua HaMashiach is speaking, and he says, whom the Father will send in my name. What does in my name mean? Don't make assumptions. So most people would read in there, in my name, and they would read on my behalf, or authorized by me. Is that an assumption? But that's what most people would read, and that's also what has been mostly taught. When we hear in my name, we go like, well, he comes by my authority. Or, or the Father will send him on my behalf. Almost like, okay, son, I will do it for you. Like an ambassador idea as well. No, it's more, most people would have an idea of the Father will send him because I asked him. That's the idea. But he says, in my name. Now we have to ask the question, to what degree is the coming in fullness of the Holy Spirit connected to His name? Is it um, oneness? That's exactly where it's going to go to. So you see now, the moment that we read what is written, we have to ask the question, how important is in His name? Okay, let's move on from there. Okay, now we can go to Babla. Okay. Do you want me to do all of it or just the second part? You go from the, from the beginning. Okay. Okay, so we've done the Bible Hub thing before. <clears throat> so uh, it's translated from Greek, from the Greek manuscript. So I'm going to just translate back to the Greek every word or concept. Okay, let's just, uh, for, so everybody's on the same page. When we're looking at the Gospels, the record that we have is translated from Greek. Unfortunately, the original Hebrew was not recorded for us, or it's not, hasn't survived in its recorded form. What a pity. But we have this, it's okay. Okay. Obviously, when Yahushua said these things, he wouldn't have said it in Greek or English. He would have said it in Hebrew. Okay. And John was a fisherman, so we can quite confidently assume that he wouldn't have been literate in Greek. Okay. Okay. So, but is just but. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Same with the. Nothing else. <laughs> that's, that's it. But the stays but the. Okay. And then <coughs> helper is a more, a better translation would be advocate or intercessor. So the idea of an advocate or an intercessor or consoler, comforter, helper. Um, <clears throat> then the is just the same. Now, Holy Spirit, I'm not going to do now because we will get there later. 
So just for now, Holy Spirit. So it says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom? Now this whom is where we're going to start really noticing what the original uh, script would have said. Because they translated it whom, but this particular pronoun could be who, which, what, or that. Which means that it doesn't have to be personal. It could be referring to an object as well. So whom, what, which, or that. Why is this important? We are not saying that the Holy Spirit is not a person. But we are saying that uh, traditionally they would have pointed to the scripture to say yes but it says whom and therefore he is a person okay so we have to now consider that the root uh, application of this word that was used does not find him as whom but it could be what or which right or that okay okay whom the father now will send could be so to send to transmit permit to go or put forth very important this is where uh, the intent behind the meaning of the words become apparent so sent here could be put forth mm. or transmit so this translates the idea that he goes forth from the father now check your mindset when we read that the father sent the holy spirit transmits the holy spirit or send forth the holy spirit Check that we don't still have the idea that he left the Father and came to earth. Because this happens very commonly in the mind, in, in the thought patterns of believers. If the Holy Spirit left the kingdom of heaven to come to this realm, then we immediately have at least two separate gods. And then we have a big problem. If the Holy Spirit, by being sent by the Father, or poured out on the earth, left the Father to come here, then we have separate God. It cannot be. So, to put forth or to transmit gives us a, a far better idea. So, He's continually coming from the Father, but never leaving the Father. Almost like if you ha a person haven't showered or taken a bath for a week. No. Continually transmitting. No. But now you have the picture, right? Could it be used for high five? Yeah. Like radiate. Heat, a heater. Like radiate. <laughs> now it's not that difficult to understand. You are radiating heat. Mm. There are certain cameras that can pick up the aura of a person. <laughs> so it's not, it's not a, a difficult thing to believe. Now imagine God. What He radiates. To get just, this is not a definition, it's a starting point. Mm. So it's very important when we, when we think Holy Spirit to understand is He cannot be separate from the Father. From the moment that the Father, we're going to see why this happens only after the, after the crucifixion and resurrection of the Lord. Why this could happen. 
if the father radiated with all his intensity into the world before the price was paid, implode or explode, I don't know which one would happen, probably both at the same time. Black hole effect. Yeah, black hole. That's what would have happened. So get to that idea that continuously the Holy Spirit is coming forth from the Father and the Son. Okay, now. Yes. You can get it. Well, just um, scripturally, in, in the letter of 1 John, we see that John himself confirms that there are three that witness in heaven, and they are one, and that's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and that there are three witnesses on earth, the water, the blood, and the Spirit, and they agree as one. And so we see that the Spirit did not leave the Father and the Son to be the Spirit or God with us, as we know we still also witness in heaven. So for those that have been here a while, that have experienced how we sit in a room, a place, and through us entering into the Spirit, you realize all of a sudden that we no longer in this realm, we have that realm and this realm have merged. All of us have experienced this shift. We call it the shift. Now that's why, because... The Holy Spirit is continuously the Father being re, re, Yahweh. Let's call Ra Yahweh. Continuously Ra, Yahweh being sent forth to those that have come into the Spirit and are filled with the Spirit. You see the effect. Okay. Right. Okay. <clears throat> so to send, transmit, permit to go, put forth. In. Uh, is the preposition in, but it's a relation of rest in. Okay? So if you send in my name, now the name part could be translated as name, it could also be translated as character, fame, or reputation, which is what you were referring to earlier. So oftentimes, and in history, uh, it has been assumed that the concept, the idea behind doing something in his name would be to do something in his character, in his fame, in his reputation. <coughs> but so what we would like, the question we would start to like, or we would like to pose, that you can start pondering in the back of your mind, is what if it is just name? If it is just name, it would be significant, but not separate from in his fame or his reputation. No. What The name Yahushua HaMashiach, hmm. what is the fame or reputation or impact or implication of the name? Because it's important that he says the Father sends him in his name. So he comes forth from Yahweh, but according to Yahushua. Now what is the, if you had to... If you had to decide on the one characteristic of Yahushua that, that's the most important. The resurrected one. The righteous resurrected one. All those concepts, he could only be resurrected because of righteousness. Okay, we get that. Now, we're still going to take the, the fame or the reputation back to the name. Because he said name. Okay, now... Now, the next part, I'm going to write on the board because to just explain this verbally isn't going to have the same impact. Okay, JP the board is in focus. Ons gaan nou baie op die board werk. Okay, I'm going to start from the board. 
Okay. So, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. So I'm just going to write this over here. Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. I'm not going to write all of that there. I'm just going to write name. Then we have, uh, so the Holy Spirit will teach. Now, teach could just mean to teach, to direct, uh, or to admonish. Okay, you just stays you, so I'm just going to write you. Teach you all things. Now, all things is referring to all the whole or every. Okay. All things and will remind you. So will remind is to remind. <coughs> So this was the idea behind it. So the idea was to remind quietly or suggest to the memory. And then everything. So bring to your remembrance all things. Again, the same here. So all the whole theory. Uh, that all things that I said to you. So all things. Okay, that I've said to you. Just the idea stays. Oh no. All things that I and then said to you, the said is Sorry, I'm going to interrupt you quickly because we skipped something important. So if the, if the most accurate Greek word, the Greek word that was used was advocate. Why did they use that word? Now, we have to make sure because we are modern thinkers. When we think advocate today, we think about something that is, we think about someone that's in a, uh, have a certain career. And they specifically represent people in court regarding legal matters. Now, let's rewind to the time of Yahushua and the Hebrew culture. 
the lawyers or advocates of the day were specifically versed in the law of God, Yahweh. There was no legal system separate from God's commandments. If we take it all the way back to the time of the judges, all the, thi the only thing that a judge did and was allowed to do was to translate the law of God to the layman. Right, so everything in relation to the Hebraic advocate or lawyer has to do with God's law. This is significant when we're looking at this word translated as advocate. Because we cannot now have the idea of false grace where the Holy Spirit is just there to de defend in any way that he possibly can uh, an accused person and try and get him off the hook. Because our modern idea of lawyer or advocate is somebody is going to be brought as a, an accused and that guy's job is just to get him off the hook. We cannot apply that idea of advocate to the work of the Holy Spirit. The ho this is where grace comes in. Remember that grace is the inclusion of God into something. Now, the word advocate here has to be understood in relation only to the commandments of God, the Word of God. And He will only advocate for the person in relation to the Word of God. Which means that he is not on your side. Now, Christians like the idea that he's our advocate, so he's on my side. When I make a mistake, he's going... So, the idea inevitably is the believer thinks when I make a mistake, he's going to defend me against the judgment of God. That makes no sense. He's, he is God. Right. And that's why it's important that they didn't just use the translation advocate. They also used the translation helper. So he's the, he's the expert on the law of God, God's commandments, that which we struggle to understand, that comes alongside us to walk it through with us. So that he's continuously helping us as the advisor the comforter according to God's plan and purposes to bring us back into line. That's the advocate, helper, comforter idea. Sure. It's very important to understand so that we don't misunderstand that, that the Holy Spirit through the, remember the false grace. Don't worry, God isn't going to give you what you deserve. The entire Bible um, disagrees with that idea. A huge portion of the scripture says that if you don't want to do it God's way, God is going to give you exactly what you deserve. Do it God's way, He will forgive your sins, and then He will give you what He determined to give you, but that's according to the sacrifice of the Lamb. There's a big difference. The one grace says you can get away with it. With what? Not doing God's will. That's not true. Okay. So now bring those two concepts together. The truth of grace and the truth of this expert righteous helper advocate that comes alongside you and walks alongside you and goes like if you're going to do that buddy 
as your advocate, I, I warn you before the time. If you do that thing, you're going to land up in court. Do you still want to do that? That's what he does. That's the advocate. Not after the fact, but before the fact. Okay, right, let's go for it. Okay, so if we keep that concept in mind and we just read the verse as it's written in the New King James, it says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So then we can see if we're now... Um, I'm careful, carefully going to use the word project, but if we insert the idea of the advocate here, then we already see that truth coming out of the true advocate, reminding of what was commanded, what was said, what was taught, right? Sure. So we see that, that concept strongly as it's written here already. <clears throat> now before I go through these words here, the reason we, we are highlighting the name and the fact that the Lord specifically says the Holy Spirit will be sent in His name is going to demand that we, as quick as we can, look at the why the name is important. What is hidden in the name? What is hidden behind the name? So we know that the Lord, we as a ministry for those newcomers, uh, believe that the name that was given to the Lord by the angel sent from the Father is extremely important in understanding the truth of the gospel. Mm -hmm. The Lord wasn't just given, or the Son wasn't just given a name so that we would know what to call Him by, so that we would know how to address Him. The name that was given to the Son was very specific in its meaning, in its application, and in its eternal truth that it carries. So. Yahushua HaMashiach means salvation of Yahweh, Yahweh's salvation by the Anointed One. And we know that the truth behind that, we should do a teaching on the name again soon, but the truth behind that would refer to the eternal existence of the Son, the Anointed One. <clears throat> and if we now, so if, we, if we're if we going to look at the truth of Yahweh's salvation by the Anointed One, then we're not just, we're no longer just looking at one individual person that the Lord, that the Father sent to save everyone. So it's not just referring to the individual Son of God, Son of Man. If we're going to look at His name, and His name's meaning is the salvation of Yahweh, or Yahweh's salvation now, we are forced to consider his entire salvation plan, his purposeful salvation, not just how he is going to save. The Hamashiach is how he is going to save, by the Anointed One. But it is not limited to the individual Son of God, Son of Man. Immediately we are forced to consider and look and behold his entire salvation plan, his entire purposeful salvation. And the, the quickest way to do this, if we're going to, to behold, consider his purposeful salvation, is to look at Romans chapter 8. That ends with, whom he foreknew, these he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. 
And that is one of the best places in scripture to see his salvation plan, the salvation of Yahweh summed up. Mm. Right. So if he says that the Holy Spirit <coughs> will be sent by the Father in his name, <coughs> and we're going to consider his name, then it's not just that he is sent on behalf of the Son when the truth of the Son, he is going to be sent in <coughs> the salvation of Yahweh, in accordance with the salvation of Yahweh, for the purpose of the salvation of Yahweh. So we're looking at the truth behind the name and not necessarily at the name in itself. So why we said that this does not rule out the character of the Son or the person of the Son or the fame or the reputation of the Son is because all of that is connected to each other when we look at the truth behind the name. But it is not limited to the reputation of the Son. It's not limited to the fame of the Son. It's not even limited to the character of the Son. It would be an all-encompassing truth of the name, what the name holds, the truth that the name holds, as the salvation of Yahweh. So the Holy Spirit is sent in that, the truth behind, the purpose of Yahweh, how He's going to save Him, why He's going to save Him, what He's going to save us into. So if we look at HaMashiach, what is the anointing that we're talking about? Because they've translated it as Christ, and that only means anointed one. And it's very important that it's, to understand it's not wrong, but the word Christ cannot, encapt, or cannot capture the full meaning of that anointing. Because Hamashiach has a meaning all through the scriptures prophetically. And the way that he fulfills the prophecy as Messiah is remember what is he anointed with and by and in. There's never any record of him being anointed like King David was anointed. Yet King David's anointing with oil is a foreshadowing of the same thing. We did look at it, we, we did a whole teaching on the two olive trees, remember. The two olive trees uh, representing the two witnesses. The two witnesses being Shem and Yafeh. Remember there's only three bloodlines that come out of the ark. One is Ham, that is the cursed bloodline. The other two bloodlines are the blessed blood, bloodline, that's the seed of God. Shem becomes the Jews. Yafeth is lost, that becomes the Gentiles. Whenever you read that any scripture that refers to the Gentiles being brought into the dispensation of grace in Ephesians, we're going to understand that Yafeth being brought back in. Those are the two olive trees. Now, this becomes significant because the oil that is uh, used to, uh, to anoint King David is a representative of the two olive trees being the complete salvation work of the seed. Those that are in eternity sal salvaged and reunited with the Father. That's the olive that are pressed. And the olive oil represents that. Why? Because it's the same olive oil or the same oil that are deposited by the two um, olive trees or olive branches into the reciprocal that is the oil that is that's keeping the menorah burning and that represents the Holy Spirit. Now the, the anointing of Messiah, Yahushua, is the anointing of the Holy Spirit and that anointing of the Holy Spirit is reflective of the two olive branches 
and the oil going into the menorah, that is the seven perfection of the Spirit of God and the work of God that is going to point forward to the um, body of Messiah. With other words, the full salvation work of Messiah. So what is Messiah anointed by when they're anointed by the Holy Spirit? That's where we're going. That's the question. And so that's why the translation Christ isn't wrong. It's just lacking in meaning. That's why we prefer to go back to Messiah because this contains the full revelation and meaning of that anointing, that prophecy, that fulfillment throughout the scriptures. He keeps referring to the Torah and the prophets, remember. And that's why we, we transition back to that because it has so much more meaning. And in the translation Christ, so much of it has been lost. It's in that anointing. It starts there. We're going to look today at why Yahushua could not minister and, were, and did not minister before the anointing. It's very important. Okay. Now, can you... Um, okay, let me ask you a question before she explains that. It says that He will come in His name. Uh, he will be transmitted from the Father in the name Yah, Shua, the uh, salvation of Yahweh. And it says that He will teach you all things. All things. Now, let me just check for the, with those that have received the Holy Spirit. Did He teach you science? Economics? Did He teach you how to use your iPhone? It says he'll teach you all things. No, I have the Holy Spirit. I still don't know how to use my iPhone. Okay, so Holy Spirit, why haven't you taught me French yet? Because it says you're going to teach me all things. Okay, another mindset that we, we have to call ourselves the mindset busters. I like it. Anyways, so another mindset that we want to just unravel quickly is there's so many people running around out there saying, well, they don't need to go to church for pastors and prophets and apostles and teachers and evangelists to teach them anymore because it says the Holy Spirit will just teach them all things. And they end up knowing zip zero about the Bible. So all they are being taught by is their own fleshly understanding and they end up being deceived. Now that scripture does not mean the Holy Spirit will just sovereignly come and teach you all things. There's a system in place for that to be true. And the way that I can prove it to you is because... Um, Solani, you know exactly how to disassemble um, the engine of a motor car, right? But you have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so that's how we can prove that He does not just teach you all things. Okay. So why would the deep understanding of the actual scriptures be any different from all other things that He should teach? You could say, yes, but He's just going to come teach me the deep things of God. Okay, do we understand that you can't just roughly apply it to that? There's more to that. So, okay, it says that he will come and teach you all things. Now she's going to show you what that all things actually are. Okay. 
So, the emphasis on the name. I'm going to emphasize it again. It would be the salvation plan of Yahweh, the salvation of Yahweh by the Anointed One. And we understand that this I'm just going to go for Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, is all summed up in the glorified body of Messiah. Okay. All things in heaven and earth summed up in him. Okay. Now that's true. So the Holy Spirit will be sent by the Father in his name to teach could also mean to direct or admonish all things, to teach you all things and will remind you of all things that I said to you. Now, like you said, this all things in our mind, we generally go like, somehow we make it something else because we know that we cannot disassemble the engine of a car or just speak French. So we don't define it as something specific, but we also know in, our, in the back of our minds that all things maybe isn't precisely the correct translation because we have been fooled by the Spirit and yet do not know necessarily all things. Mm -hmm. So can I encourage you to, if you have some extra time for Bible reading, after your normal Bible study, have a little look at places where the term all things are used. So can we quickly look at that? So the verse defining faith says what? Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Now faith is the substance of all things. So there's a, a term, a concept that becomes defining all things. Now, faith is substance of things. Huh? Yeah, things hoped for. Yeah. What's that things? Things. Now, the scripture you said, in the dispensation of the fullness of time, what happens there? All things. So now we can, in starting to, uh, in, our, in our investigation to find out what the all things here that he will teach us is, we can connect it with other scriptures that speak, speak specifically about those things in relation to certain aspects. And then we can start. So there's a, a concept that the Bible writers tend to, to refer to as all things. And the reason that word is used, that terminology is used, is because the actual meaning of it is the whole. Now faith is the substance of the whole. Try that. Apply it there. Okay, go ahead. What? Do you want to do it? No, no, go ahead. Okay. So, if the Holy Spirit is sent in His name, and the truth behind the name is referring to that, then it would make much more sense for the Holy Spirit to teach us the whole. To remind us quietly or suggest to our memory the whole that the Lord commanded or brought word of. Obviously the whole. Is the penny dropping? 
see what this verse actually says, speaking about. It's far better than we thought. So what does this look like? I think we'll come back to what it, look, what it actually says. Now, I'm going to get out of the way. I'm going to come sit here. Can you, on this side, show us the pictograph of Ruach? And then the picture should unfold even more. Okay, let me just check with everybody. As you're hearing these things, we're we actually opening up things that, that, that very few has figured out. Yet when we say it, does your mind go, duh. Does your mind go like, wow, that was obvious. Does it hap is it happening to you guys? That was obvious. And then why has it been literally a mystery that has been hidden from the church for 2,000 years? And yet when we say it, it goes like, well, if I, I'm, be, I'm betting all of you are thinking, well, if I just took a little bit of time and I looked at it, I would have figured it out. <laughs> Thanks for the shortcut. <laughs> okay. Okay. So for those of you who don't know, the Hebrew translation for Holy Spirit is Ruach. So it's actually spirit of holiness. Okay. And we're going to look at the construct, much as we did with grace, when we looked at the Hebrew word and then looked at the construct of the word in the picture language to understand the hidden message, what it means. Okay. So Ruach uh, exists out of three letters, which is Reish, Vav, and Chet. I'm just going to draw the pictures. So, R is yeah, and this is the picture of a head. but it's also in the English language is used as a U. And this is, it looks like this. And this is a nail. So it's an iron nail or a wooden hook. And then we have the... which is a picture of Should I do the one, then the other? Okay. Mm. So, the head generally refers to the master, the leader, or the prince. And for the application of the Holy Spirit, it, could, it does also refer to that as the master, the leader, or the prince. But we also understand that the picture of a head is significant enough in what we understand in our concept of the body. 
So we understand that the head is Messiah, is the Lord, and he is the master, the Lord, the prince, the leader. But it is also a direct uh, reference then to the body with him as the head. Okay, so we're not going to just limit it to the leader, the master, or the prince. We're going to incorporate the truth of the body with him as the head into the picture of the head. Wow. Okay. Okay, can you see how now, if for those who have understood the, what they call the Godhead through the Trinity doctrine, can you see how now all of a sudden we're in trouble? Because if we have three different persons or manifestations, well, the Church Fathers didn't allow the word manifestation, but persons or in workings by three different persons of God, then if the Holy Spirit is the head and Yahushua is the head, then what now? And the head of the same body. Okay. So just to be clear, so the word Ruach means spirit, and spirit means wind, breath, yeah, spirit, wind, or breath. We'll look at that more. So, okay, so the head. Then, the iron nail or the wooden hook means to fasten or to secure two things that are separated from one another. Okay, so to bring two things together that were separate to make them one. And now, ironically enough, it's like two opposing truths that are found in the same word right after each other. So this is to fasten two things that are separate, but the fence means to separate, mm. to cut off. It could also mean to protect, and it can be a sanctuary. Mm. I'm sure this reminds everyone of the truth of grace that we looked at last week. The fence, to secure, can be a sanctuary, but in order for it to be a sanctuary, it has to separate mm -hmm. you. So when we look at just the truth behind spirit, we have the head. We have something that is made one, things that were separate, but they are fastened to each other. But it's also separated, severed from something else. Mm -hmm. The truth of the reconciliation coming up in mm -hmm. anyone's mind. Mm -hmm. So... If we look at it from back to from the bottom to the top, it actually creates a better picture. So we have to be separated from the world, mm -hmm. separated unto the one, into the head. So in the word ruach, we have separation. <coughs> but not just separation, but separation into the head. Okay, so that's just the word spirit. Now we look at the word hakodesh which actually just means separation. <laughs> okay. So the Hakodesh exists out of four letters. Um, and the, the He, the Ha, is the same as when we say Yahushua Ha Mashiach. Mm -hmm. It means to behold, but it's, it's almost like a by or of. So spirit of holiness. Okay, so this would be the ha. But the he is a <coughs> And it means it's a man with uplifted arms. So 
then we have the Q for Kodesh. And it looks like this. And this is the back of a head. Okay, so Hakodesh, four letters. Hey, with, that's a man with uplifted arms. The Q is the Kuf, and this is a picture of the back of a head. Then we have the Dalit, and this is, the pic this is a picture of a door. And then we have Shin, Shin. And this is a picture of teeth. Okay. Now, the hay, the man with the uplifted arms, means to behold or to reveal. Or to be revealed to. So behold or reveal. The kuf, the picture of the back of the head, now they say it means the least, the last, or behind. But we also know that the back of the head is a reference to the future. Mm. in the Hebrew mindset. So the back of the head is always a reference to the future because you're looking away. The, the only concrete idea or understanding that the Hebrew person had of something in the future, they didn't have a concept of the future except when there was prophetic interaction. The only concept concrete that they had was that the person that walks in front of them whose back of the head they can see has already gone where they're about to go. You walk in a, was, in a line, yeah. the person in front of you is in the future. And I see mm. the back of the head. Okay, so the back of the head is a reference to the future. The door is, so it means a doorway or a place of decision, a place where change can take place or an entrance to life or death. So going through something, making a decision, and it has the concept of a, a determination. So it's not just walking into a room. Something happens when you enter the door. Okay. And then the teeth means to press, to consume, or to destroy. And if you put all of this together, you have the concept of sacredness, apartness, holiness, or sanctification. So we have looked at the meaning of sanctification in the past. So the truth of the concepts that we have as sanctification or holiness in essence boils down to that which is separate or separated. Now who of you have ever had a picture of the Holy Spirit? So we know that the Holy Spirit represents the breath of God. So, when he overshadowed Adam and breathed into his nostrils, that was that which connected, what was formed out of the earth to the nature and the person of God himself, Yahweh. Now, that breath is the link between man created in substance and spirit gone, and they're the same and one. But who of you, now we understand the breath, Remember, Yahushua breathed on his disciples and said, Receive ye the Ruach HaKodesh. Then, who have you ever imagined the Holy Spirit as also not only the breath coming towards you, but the mouth with the teeth coming towards you? <laughs> no, not, not the usual picture, is it? And yet it's uh, entrenched in the very name or concept of the Holy Spirit. Now, can you see that Ruach HaKodesh is not his name. 
When we speak about the whole world, is that the name of the planet? So it's not his name. Now, can anybody tell me what his name is? And yet they ended up with the Trinity teaching doctrine. Okay, so why is this important? Now let's look at, so this makes sense, right? So what we're looking at is the head, the aspect of God's salvation work that connects the two, two things to each other, make them one. The fence that separates the one thing from the other. So there's a, in holiness, in sanctification, the truth behind that concept is separated. So the thing that, we, what helps us understand that who God is, when we speak about God is holy, is the fact that God is separate. Separate from what? actually separate from all things that are not Him. Okay, He's separate from all that is not Him. All that is not Him is unholy. Separated from Him. That's why it's so important. Let's go back to the truth of what grace truly is. Grace is Him letting us know that He has provided for our inclusion. Grace is a ringed wall to keep that which is the seed, his seed, safe on the inside from everything that is on the outside. Now imagine uh, Jerusalem as the ringed city. Outside is semi-desert, whatever it looks like, wilderness. And now the Syrians are coming to attack the city. What does all the Israelites do? They run inside and then they close the door. So the wall is going to protect them from whatever dangers are outside, right? Mm -hmm. Now imagine, now if you were an Israelite and you actually didn't run fast enough <laughs> and you're outside, the, the, the wall is there to protect you, right? So the thing to do is, if you were too late to come in, you're just going to press as tightly against the wall on the outside as you possibly can <laughs> For, for protection. <laughs> so how much is the wall going to protect you when the Syrians start shooting the arrows? The wall is there to protect me. The wall is there to protect me. Okay, Is it going to work? So there's a very, very clear picture of the importance of either being inside or outside. Am I right? Okay, so, now the Holy Spirit represents this exact picture. Okay, right. What makes, what, 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 what is, okay, what is the implication for you if you are baptized in the Spirit, with the Spirit, immersed actually in the Spirit? It means that you are now inside. It also means that you are sanctified separated which means you are separated from everything that is not in the spirit how important is that to to grasp now
All of this is important for one reason, and that is that while we are on earth, we are His body. And that is God's... So all of this, all that is said here is that it's very important because Yahushua says, the Father will emit. So continuously coming forth from the Father is something. We call that Ruach HaKodesh. To us that are included. That which is emitted from the Father, that we call Holy Spirit, is constantly going to work in on us in a very specific way. To quietly suggest to our memory the whole. What is the whole? The substance of faith. New Jerusalem. New Jerusalem, remember that you are living stones being built in for a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. Okay. Now, so this is, if faith is the New Jerusalem, with other words, if you take, okay, right now, earth exists and the kingdom of heaven exists. So, we have contrast because there's two things. Right now, in our reality on earth, the sun comes up and there's light, and then there's darkness. What happens if there's no more light, and it's just forever darkness? Would it benefit at all to remember the light? After another 2,000 years, people refer back to the time when there was light. The children would have no idea what they're talking about. They would have no idea what they're talking about. Exactly. Now the earth is passing away and all that will be left over or all that will exist for eternity or eternally would be the kingdom of heaven. Okay, now take the earth, the concrete created realm away. It's passed away, it's no longer. What is left over? What's left over? So now, for us to refer to it as the kingdom of heaven would be silly. It's not just the kingdom. It's, it's the place. It's, that's, that's the place. That makes sense. Just for a moment, take a moment and... and, and Allow yourself to, to grasp the concept. This is passing away. This is a blip in time as far as God is concerned. Eternally, the kingdom exists. And eternally, the kingdom exists with all the sons and daughters that has been created and redeemed in the image of and likeness of God in Him. And that's what exists. Now, out of that... That which is emitted toward us is all of that. All of that. Okay? And then, the work that all of that is doing on us from the moment that God is starting to awaken your understanding 
is he is bringing your understanding, quietly suggesting to your memory the whole. The whole. Okay, why is this extremely important? Because it's one of the most important frontiers in which we are brought into the things of God, the provision of God, the fullness of God, the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God. So this is primarily what the Holy Spirit will do in your life. So the Holy Spirit is not there to teach you truths. The truth that He teaches you is part of a truth. So what did you receive when you received the Holy Spirit? Now you see, all of this overrules all the little things that we had to write down as truth, because this is truth. Now it becomes extremely important. Let's just go to resisting and to the scripture, Ephesians. Can we do that? We are actually going to close this teaching down, and we're going to have to wait to read through Ephesians till next week. I thought we wouldn't be able to do. <laughs> The time is just too short. And you can't just do this quickly. You have to actually look at it properly to understand what's happening. Okay. Okay. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 says, Do not quench the Spirit. Mm -hmm. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Mm -hmm by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. <laughs> okay, now I'm hoping that if you listen to the words that is used, do not quench the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now we know that there is in our timeline a future time when we are fully redeemed. The purchased possession is redeemed. Okay. But now, if we just read, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Let's look at the usual old way that most people would interpret this. Quenching the Holy Spirit. Most people think that what, we, what we're not supposed to do is ignore Him when He speaks. If He does speak to you or move you, just, just don't ignore what He's saying. Don't resist what He's saying. So quenched would be the same as Resist, deny, the quenching is to put water on a, on a fire. To silence. Now, most believers unfortunately apply this to their hearts and their lives out of good intention just in this way. They go like, shoot the Holy Spirit, maybe. Give me direct instruction regarding something specific. Should this happen, and it usually doesn't happen that often, but should he speak, then I should just not resist him. Well, certainly I won't. I mean, if he speaks to me in a voice that I understand, then why would I not do it? So this is the usual application. 
Now, that's not wrong. But it is far lacking in its actual eternal application. Why is this important? It's important, it becomes important and applicable when we look at this big message that we as In the God Ministries has a mandate to teach, and that is called the one man. Read uh, all things in. Ephesians 1, verse 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Messiah both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. This is what makes us so different from every other ministry that we encounter. Because there's a message that is the gospel that's written in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And Satan doesn't mind people keeping pieces, pieces of the puzzle. He's just going to make sure that they never fit the pieces together to make the whole picture. Because the whole picture is what it's about. The whole. This is what this actually is saying. And now let's look at resisting or quenching the Holy Spirit. What it's actually speaking about, you can go back to Ephesians and read through from chapter 3, 4, 5, yeah, but five as well. Be, be, therefore, as little children be imitators of God. This is how we are imitators of Yahweh. Because it's about the whole. So now this is what I need you to go and take home with you and go meditate upon. We need to search out every crevice of our thought lives, of our concepts, of our ideas, our preferences, our motivations, and anything that's contrary to this uh, one truth, we have to come against, pull down, get rid of. Okay. Resisting the Holy Spirit is literally the part of our thoughts, our value system, our actions that are not give, allowing us to give ourselves wholly to the body of Messiah. So that's why we have thrown out of the equation the concept of church we gather together as an assembly to study the bible to worship but what the entire bible is and is about is what the holy spirit represents to us that's why it's been poured out only at a certain time now what does this mean that to resist the holy spirit is going to look like this. A person is baptized and baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then they want to serve the Holy Spirit in certain things, but they don't want to be separated by the teeth and the wall unto as one, one part of the whole from that which is not the whole. They don't want that. A person that wants to have that and this is actually resisting the Holy Spirit. That's what it boils down to. That's what that scripture is about. Because the Holy Spirit is the whole. What is the Holy Spirit poured, pouring out or coming towards or being upon us? That which is 
true in eternity, the relationship between the Father and the Son with all of us in them, all that is redeemed, together, the whole, the head and the body as one. All of that is being brought through the realms, through time, radiating from the Father and the Son, Yahweh. So the Father and the Son together, Yahweh. Radiated from that to us in this realm. And that is supposed to determine who we are, what we are, how we are. In all things. Now, that's a radical message that has been lost. Because, see, it has become completely politically incorrect to say that we have to be completely separate. And yet the entire Bible is about that. That, uh, that is what we call the Holy Spirit, who we call the Holy Spirit. So it's not even about whether the Trinity doctrine is correct or not. It's a non-issue now. The Father and the Son has a relationship with each other. I'm just going to do the one part. We can do the rest next week. Wow, we had such an exciting plan with this. Okay. So it looks like this. Remember the Father existed. He begot the Son. Outside of time. So don't even try to put a time frame to it. He, he begot the Son. That's what we know. He communicated, related, as He is now, radiating toward us in all that He is. So, okay, we talk about the Holy Spirit. When you open your entire being just to be... <laughs> okay, don't demonstrate too much. Okay. Do it in theory. You, you open your entire being... For that really radiation to fully, in all its power, uh, saturate your being. What you are being saturated with is all that the Father is, the knowledge of God, all that He knows, all that He is, all that He is, right? Yahweh. Now, He begot the Son and gave the Son full access. Imagine you could give someone full access to your entire mind and your memory. All your intentions. All that is in you. You are willing to reveal to another. Now when this manifested, That which is the Father, all that He is, became everything that is in the Son. So the Son of God is nothing more or less or different than that. And now you have this. This. The Father and the Son. And that 
unending eternal reality of all that the Father is in the Son and fulfilled in the Son and the Son in His relationship, His response to the Father, all that the Father is back to the Father. That is the Holy Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit. And that is what has been poured out on the body in, on the earth. Makes sense. Because see, we are baptized into them and He fills us with His fullness. And that, all that, all that you could fathom as far as the person of God, Yahweh, in eternal existence, unchanging. All that is what we call the Holy Spirit. And all that is being constantly radiated to those who are in Him and belong to Him, but yet still on the earth. Why is that important? Because the working of salvation is, once we were without understanding, Once we were without understanding, and then this promise was fulfilled. And what happens is when that promise, the outworking, he comes to remind quietly, suggest to the memory, the whole, this. And we call that New Jerusalem. Only until we get there. And then we no longer call it New Jerusalem. Right? There's not going to be a little board on the road leading there saying 20 kilometers. <laughs> okay. All, okay. So, so in eternity, there is nothing outside New Jerusalem. Now, is the city in the spirit or is the spirit in the city? So, all that is after this realm is gone, is the Holy Spirit. But we know that the Son and the Father is in the city. So the Holy Spirit in reality is all things. Inclusive of the Father, the Son and all that will exist when all things that are in heaven and on earth are made one in Messiah. That's the Holy Spirit. And that is the potential of the believer because... We are filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is what Satan wanted to keep from us. Because he is terrified of the body of Messiah knowing this. Because the Lord said, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. This is it. Go and sit with this. Because when that promise comes to the believer... And the, the not understanding, the without understanding, is, is, is we, are, we are enlightened by that understanding. What happens? We are brought into that. And that's why there's two Gospels. The one Gospel encourages the believer to remain individual. The true gospel 
The true gospel means that a person that remains individual in any way, any percentage of their being, is actually resisting that. See how grace and faith, as we looked at it last week, is cannot be separated from the Holy Spirit. Because grace literally is the inclusion there. And that is the Holy Spirit. So, we're not saying the Holy Spirit isn't personal. But the Holy Spirit is the person of Yahweh. Not less, not more, but all of it. And so you don't have to figure out whether you have to pray or are allowed to worship the Holy Spirit or should pray through the Holy Spirit or say the name of Yahushua first or pray to the Father. That is why it's so important to understand Yahweh is one. That makes sense. Next week we'll explain a little bit more on the actual practical outworking of this. We're going to leave it there. I think it's enough, right? Enough? Something you still wanted to add? Amen. Amen.